0: blog talk radio welcome to slightly askew with nancy at noon the show that takes an honest look into the heart of all things that shape the fabric of your entire life and now here's nancy
1: Hello everyone, welcome. I have got a full show today, so I want to jump right in there and get started. I'm going to talk about some things today and tell you a story that you may or may not believe, and that's totally okay. We are all headed towards the same place, but taking different paths to get there. We may think we are headed down the path towards money, success and career, better relationships, a clean bill of health, or just less pain in our bodies, but let me ask you this. What's on the other side of these goals? Why do you want them? You may be able to write out long lists of whys, but I guarantee only one answer will be at the very end of that list. Why do you want a better relationship with your partner, your boss, your coworkers, or your kids? Why do you want the aches and pains in your body to disappear? Or the cancer, arthritis, depression, and fatigue to reverse and turn into vitality? Why do you want more money or a higher position on the corporate ladder or whatever job you're working at? What do you think the achievement of these goals is going to bring you? We all have different reasons for why we want the things that we want. We think we'll be able to provide for ourselves and our families better if we get a raise or have a higher position at work. You may think that if your boyfriend stops chewing (laughs) with his mouth open, you can eat a meal together without going insane. If your body is healthy and strong, you can live a better quality life. But I can tell you with all sincerity that if you achieved every one of the goals on your list, you'd want more. You'd make another list, and another, and another, and another, and it'd be endless. Because once you get those goals, it's not enough. You never feel the way you thought you'd feel after you get the things in life you think you want. Know what I mean? I want to tell you something kind of fun. This week, I got some exciting mail. The 2016 Yoga Conference Catalog. I love poring over conference catalogs and circling all the workshops I'm going to take. They always put like 50 workshops in one time slot, and it makes it really hard for me to choose because I want to take them all. Are you like this? I know my daughters are. Every time their school catalog comes out, they, wanna, they just pour over it too, wanting to take every class that's in the book. It's just exciting. Learning is exciting. How am I supposed to choose between learning Sanskrit or taking a chakra journey, which involves combining sacred music, creative visualizations, ecstatic and playful movement, shamanic yoga, and chanting to fully embody the different planes of my being. That was the course description. But I've always wanted to learn Sanskrit. Sanskrit is the language of the universe. I've always loved learning languages. I only speak English, but I have studied Spanish, French, Japanese, and Latin. Sanskrit is the language of the gods. It's a vibrational language of all that exists. It's the oldest language in the world, dating back to the very beginning of time. Who in their right mind wouldn't want to learn Sanskrit? Just thinking about it it feels magical and mystical. I've gone to a lot of conferences, workshops, and seminars in my life. They range from, I don't know, everything from like Seagraph Conference, which is all about computers. Well, it's way more than just that. Everyone from NASA scientists to Hollywood animation studios attend. I loved Seagraph. I haven't been for many years. I wanted to live in a Seagraph community. We were like one big family that got along. And there were at least 10,000 of us in attendance. I mean, that's a big conference. Um, And I've gone to Tony Robbins' conference where I walked on fire. Yeah, for real. (coughs) 2,000 degrees scorching coals and I didn't feel a thing. I'd say I'm an amazing woman, but 3,000 other people also walked on hot coals that night. So we're all amazing. Reading about all the cool workshops in the yoga catalog inspired me to tell you a story today. This story is about the 11th century Tibetan saint and yogi called Milarepa. Milarepa was born in around 10,052 in Tibet. Actually, it wasn't even around that. It was 1052 exactly. He was born in Tibet. His father was a wool trader who had become very wealthy by the time his son was born. He and his wife uh, named their child Sopaga, which means delightful to hear. Names can be very telling. To me, the meaning of this name makes me feel like his parents were very loving and welcomed their new babe into their lives with smiles on their faces. It took me two weeks after my daughter's birth to name her my second daughter. I needed to meet her and feel who she was before giving her a name that she would have for the rest of her life. I called her Ariana Rain. I like the air part, spelled A-I-R. To me, it meant lightness, movement, freedom an invisible essence of purity. And the area part is a song. It's music or a melody that's sung without an orchestra. To me, it means standing among a group or the whole world and being able to voice who you are in a sweet melody. It felt very whimsical. The name Anne or Anna refers to a healer. Rain is spelled R-A-I-N, and rain is cleansing, purifying, and nurturing. Rain cleans the air and feeds the seeds we plant and helps them grow into something that gives us sustenance. The name Ariana Rain is heaped full of meaning, and I have to say, my daughter wears it well. I don't know if names become the person or the person becomes the name, but my daughter is all about those things. She speaks her truth, and at a very young age, she knew the direction of her life mission. She's still working towards it getting the grounding and education to cleanse and nurture the things in life that do not sit well with her, but she still finds time to help those in need. Thopaga, later known as Milarepa, lived up to his name also. He had a beautiful voice that mesmerized those who he sang to. He composed songs, much like the best artists create masterpieces, that told tales about the dramatic events of his life, and they were quite dramatic. The songs were very popular in Tibet at the time and have been recorded as the 100,000 songs of Melarepa. He and his parents lived in a mansion and wore the finest clothes and jewelry and ate the best foods. They were very generous to all their extended family, their neighbors, and everyone in the community. They hosted elaborate feasts and invited everyone to join them. They were admired by all, but admiration is very different from true friendship and love. Have you ever had a friend who suddenly stopped being your friend because your situation in life changed for the worse? Well, the same thing happened to this family. The father became very ill and knew he was dying, so he called his family together, his brother and sister and all the offspring, and in fact the whole village, to let them know that he was putting his estate in the care of his brother and sister until Milarepa was grown up and married one of the neighboring girls who had been chosen for him. That was a thing back then still is in some countries today not my thing but it's a thing after the father died it turned into a cinderella story the evil brother and sister-in-law stripped the mother milarepa and pita his younger sister of all their worldly possessions and made them work as servants and in the fields they wore tattered old clothes and ate food that wasn't fit for any human The townspeople laughed at them and made fun of them, just like in Cinderella. The mother didn't give up. When Milarepa was 15, she decided to get her inheritance back. She used the meager savings she had been putting away and invited all the neighbors to a feast. Her intention was to remind the townspeople of her husband's dying words, that the brother and sister-in-law were only to be caretakers of the estate until Milarepa had become of age. But her plan kind of backfired. What happens when you gather together a group of weak and spineless individuals and tell them the truth? They back down from fear of the evil ones with power. The evil in-laws beat the mother and her two children and turned them out of the house. The townsfolk, spineless as they were, didn't step in to help. So they were left to do what they could do for survival, working hard for scraps of food sleeping where they could basically the life of the homeless Milarepa was still young and took it all in stride he even sang as he worked this greatly irritated Milarepa's mother who was not happy nor was she happy that he was happy isn't that the way if someone doesn't feel happy they don't want you to feel happy she wanted revenge on the evil in-laws so she sent her son off to distant lands to learn the art of black magic in order to wreak havoc on her enemies she told him that if he returned without having learned strong enough magic, she would kill herself in his presence. Kind of a heavy burden to put on a young son like that, but he did what he was told. I think back then children listened to their parents more than they do today. So, Milarepa and a few other pupils spent a year learning nonsense and rituals from a Lama. No, not the furry four-legged kind, more like the dolly kind, as in teacher of Tibetan Buddhism. But this Lama taught black magic, not the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path. When the year was up and the other boys had returned home, Milarepa told the Lama about his dire situation at home and that he needed some real magic. So the Lama showed him how to invoke the power of the deities to revenge him and his family. Milarepa practiced and was actually able to invoke the deities. One night he had a vision of 35 of his worst relatives with their bloody heads and hearts on a platter. He spared the aunt and uncle so they could be witness to the power of his magic. Then one day, not long after, the vision came true. His neighbors and relatives were gathered at the mansion for a wedding. Some of the horses outside the house got a little wild and knocked down the supporting column of the house, causing it to collapse, killing the 35 people inside, except the aunt and uncle. His mother was thrilled with a War of the Roses kind of dark joy. She gloated over the accomplishment of her son in front of the rest of her neighbors. Yeah, probably not the best thing to do. That right there bodes bad karma for her, unless she does a quick change of attitude and musters up some forgiveness. The families of the deceased weren't mustering up a whole lot of forgiveness either. They wanted revenge. Now we've got a Cinderella-turned-Hatfield-and-McCoy thing going on. And the mother wasn't satisfied with their deaths she wanted revenge on the whole town, commanding her son to cause storms that would ruin the crops and strike fear into all the villagers so they would cease and desist the counter-revenge they were planning. Milarepa did what his mother asked and conjured up storms that ruined the crops. But it wasn't long before he was regretting all the destruction he caused. He realized he was no better than the evil in-laws and townspeople. He was consumed by thoughts of the bad karma he had accumulated. Even the Lama realized that part of the karmic responsibility belonged to him for the destruction he had caused by teaching black magic. Yep, karma is a deep and vast subject, and we are responsible for the effects our thoughts, words, and actions have on other people. That's not a comfortable thought now, is it? But it was a pivotal moment in both of their lives. They went in search of the light. People actually can change. Milarepa found his guru in the Holy Lama named Marpa the Translator. In case you don't know, gurus are able to take away our bad karma. Each religion says it differently, but they all have enlightened holy beings who remove our sins. It's Just one of their job descriptions. Marpa put Milarepa to work doing strenuous physical labor. Seems to be what many gurus do to help their disciples, at least back in those days. The hard physical work lasted for years and years. And you know, the thing is, they know. The gurus know the ones who are going to become great spiritual masters. They know even before the disciple shows up on their doorstep. The gurus get visions. They never tell the disciple, but they know. That's why they put them through such severe trials. They know what we need to overcome before we can truly and fully serve others in the way we're meant to. (laughs) So, whenever you've got challenges that seem so daunting you want to run and hide, Maybe you should stick around and see what's on the other side of them. It might be total freedom from suffering. But my goodness, the suffering we have to endure to get to that freedom. The struggles Malarepa went through were so severe he was seriously going to take his own life. It wasn't the physical labor that was the hard part. It was his own suffering. Buddha once said, if you get pierced by a poisonous arrow, don't let a second arrow strike you. He meant, if you've done something wrong or someone has done wrong to you, don't keep thinking about it and talking about it because that's the second arrow. That's where much of our suffering comes from. Miller raper was human and made human mistakes like all of us do. He felt like he could never do right and could never make up for the bad deeds he had done in the past. I mean, let's face it, he killed people and brought a lot of sorrow to others. He'd given up hoping for any chance of enlightenment in that particular lifetime. There was nothing worth living for anymore. But his guru told him that to prematurely end one's life is the greatest sin of all. A sin that comes with unbearable punishment. So Milarepa stuck around to see it through. You can imagine the trials that his guru put him through. Gurus have their own strategies that we know nothing about. They have reasons why they can't tell us what they're doing. Kind of like if someone hands you a nicely wrapped birthday present but tells you what's in the box before you open it. Ruins the effect they're going for. If you are lucky enough to have a truly enlightened guru, they do what they do in order to cleanse us of our bad karma or our sins. His sins were cleansed and the next part of his enlightenment journey was to spend time meditating in a cave in the Himalayas to gain insight. Do you know that one reason monks and holy people went into caves to meditate was because the caves were made of quartz crystal, which helped them gain insights quicker. Yep, quartz crystal has a very high vibrational quality. I wouldn't mind meditating in a quartz crystal cave for a few hours, but I would probably never relax. I'd be constantly on the lookout for snakes and who knows what else lurks in those dark, damp, cold mountain crevices. The unknown. Like when my doorbell rings in the middle of the night and no one is there. Freaky. Until I found out what was going on. My neighbor and his friends discovered that our doorbells were on the same circuit or frequency. So they'd have fun ringing my neighbor's doorbell knowing mine would go off. They actually timed it to see how long it took before I'd call him. Usually a matter of minutes. It was actually pretty funny, I must admit that. Boys will be boys as far as pranks go. It was a harmless one. I stopped the first time it happened. No one was ringing Teddy's doorbell. I had woken him up and none of his friends were over. So I'm holding strong to that time being a ghost for sure. It's still kind of scary when it happens, especially since Teddy's moved away and I have no one to call when it goes off.
0: Okay, stop it.
1: Although it hasn't gone off since he moved. Hmm. Anyway, Milarepa spent many years meditating in the cave. Much time had passed. Seasons had changed and people got older. He felt sad that he he had left his sister and mother behind so long ago. So he bid adieu to Marpa, his guru, and went in search of his family. Before he left, Marpa gave him the final and highest initiation by whispering in his ear the tantric doctrines that were passed down to him by his guru. And Milarepa was supposed to pass down those doctrines to his most worthy disciple, a tradition that was to be followed for the next 13 generations. It's very special to have a spiritual master whisper secret doctrines in your ear. Back then, you might get to ask your guru one question per year, if you were lucky. Spiritual knowledge was sacred. It wasn't wasted on people who wouldn't put it to the greatest use. Spiritual masters didn't throw pearls to swine. Things have changed in recent times. If you're lucky enough to be a disciple of a living guru, you are privy to all the sacred information he possesses. But if you aren't ready for it, if you aren't in a high enough state to receive it, you won't hear a thing. Marpa gave Milarepa great gifts before he left, knowing he would never see him again. It was an omen. It kind it kind of pisses me off when masters have omens, but they don't share them with their students. I mean, really, how sad is it when you don't get to say goodbye to someone, yet they know they won't ever see you again? I think closure is very important, but we often don't get to have closure And it causes us a lot of heartache and suffering. But Milarepa was aware enough to know he wouldn't be seeing his master again in that lifetime either. Making the trip home in Tibet a thousand years ago wasn't a simple matter of popping on a plane and arriving at your destination several hours later. Milarepa had to cross mountains, probably on foot. When he got home, his mother had died, his house was in ruins. I guess no one bothered to fix it up after that devastating wedding many years ago. In his field where barley used to grow was a healthy crop of weeds and no one knew where his sister was. Kind of sad, actually. I feel for the guy. He did Uh a lot of bad stuff. He was a mass murderer and basically a terrorist. Really, he was. And he had to come back to face his evil deeds. We all do. He found his mother's body beneath a mound of dirt uh, somewhere in the ruined home Our circumstances in life have the ability to change us, whether for good or bad. The choice is always ours. Milarepa realized that the transient nature of the physical world no longer had anything left to bind him to it. Then and there, he decided to dedicate his life to solitary meditation. The thing I've always found fascinating about yogis is that they can do cool stuff that we can't do. Milarepa was able to generate ecstatic internal warmth. That's where your body generates a lot of heat very handy if you are living in a cave in a Tibetan mountain in the middle of the winter. Actually that's how he got his name, Mila Rapa, the cotton clad. He wore cotton clothes while everyone else was dressed in heavy winter clothes. He did what he could to stay alive while meditating but he ran out of food and had to live on wild nettles, which turned his skin and hair green, scaring off hunters who happened upon him. His nickname was the Green Caterpillar, Word got out about this strange green monk wandering about and living in a cave. Monks living in caves weren't all that uncommon. It was the green part that freaked people out. His sister, Peter, heard the rumors and somehow or other knew it was her brother. So she went to him, saw his condition, and brought him food and clothing and, you know, things that he might need. To her, she thought he was the most miserable person on earth. But he told her this was not the case at all. And then, of course, the evil aunt came. Remember the wicked in-law in the beginning of our story? She came bringing food, I guess as a form of apology. Yeah, like bringing some flour, butter, and eggs was going to fix the lives of three people who she cheated, abused, and stole from. I guess it's a start. Milarepa held her at bay for a while, but eventually let her speak her peace, then sent her away with uh, some religious teachings to chew on. What the heck? Why not? Milarepa's ultimate realization was that nirvana, the state of complete transcendence, happens when the mind is directed on the path of selfless, altruistic awareness rather than on self-centeredness. Milarepa had many disciples in his lifetime who reached great states of exaltation, even more achieved the level of enlightenment where they didn't have to come and come back and be reborn again. He eventually died at age 84. And after he was cremated, there were no remains of his human body. No ashes, no bones, no nothing. Celestial angels had removed all traces of his physical body. Very Jesus-like, if you ask me. I sometimes wonder if the great spiritual masters and healers are just one being that keep coming back again with a different name, in a different country, speaking a different language, but saying the same thing. The disciples weren't left with any physical remains, but they were left with stories— which they wrote down and passed on to others. 400 years later, a monk called the Madman collected those stories and wrote a book in first-person narrative form. What that means is that he told the stories as if he was the author and it was his own life story he was telling. The Madman went to meditate in the caves of Tibet at a very young age and reached enlightenment very quickly. He was able to achieve the inner yogi heat thing, which is the ability to wear a thin cotton cloth in the dead of winter, like I mentioned previously. Man, I think I need to spend more time meditating so I can develop that yogic ability. Then I wouldn't need to wear triple layers of heavy clothes inside my home and spend all my time and energy keeping two two wood stoves going. Actually, I think I did experience it once. I live about a block away from Lake Huron. It was summer, and the air was, you know, it was warm. It was, it was a su- nice summer day, probably in July or August. The lake was super flat and gorgeous, and I wanted to swim lengths in the lake. But it was super, super cold, numbing cold. The beach had lots of sunbathers, but no one was in the water. So I said to my body or to the universe, not really sure who I said it to, I said, don't let me feel the cold. Let my body stay warm. Then, into the lake I went. The first plunge is always a bit shocking, but I didn't feel a thing. I wasn't cold inside. My skin didn't feel cold outside. I swam, marveling at the miracle of it. I haven't been able to do it again. You know, that must have been a one-time yogic state that I managed to achieve. Anyway, the madman of Sang was able to achieve that inner peace. I mean, yeah, inner peace, but that inner heat at at a really young age. I'm not saying that Milarepa was the only yogi able to do this. I'm saying I believe the madman and Milarepa are one and the same. This isn't a fantastical story created to teach lessons like god and goddess myths. It's actually a true story. This week I was watching an old clip of Ellen. She had a teenager on her show who played the guitar, sang, and looked exactly like Elvis. Now, Elvis isn't all that hard to imitate. But it got me thinking about reincarnation and how many young children these days have incredible talent and abilities that takes a normal person years and years and years to develop and perfect. And here we have six-year-old girls singing opera like they've been doing it a whole adult lifetime. And young piano players whose fingers dance across the keyboards like Liberace. Don't tell me they didn't incarnate into this life bringing those skills with them. They aren't geniuses. Think about it. Put your religious beliefs aside for a minute and ask yourself how these children could have become such experts so fast. Same as the madman, how was he able to develop the inner heat ability so quickly? I firmly believe that enlightened beings incarnate into this life already fully enlightened. They don't have to come back, but sometimes they do, and their only reason is to help us. It doesn't take them long to get up to speed, catch up on the new technology, then do their thing. My guru was able to recite the Bhagavad Gita when he was four years old. Tell me that's normal. The madman was called the madman because he was a little bit on the eccentric side. Some would say he was downright crazy. He adopted the lifestyle of a mad yogi, but in actuality, his behavior and style was quite common in the 7th to 11th century, the time of Melarepa. He was only considered mad in the 15th century. When the madman recorded the life history of Milarepa, he didn't sign it with his own name. His disciples all claimed it to be an autobiography of Milarepa's life. I totally believe the madman is the reincarnation of Milarepa 400 years later. Some historians and literary analysts may believe differently, but some things can't be explained strictly by research alone. It's an intuitive thing. Proof is sometimes irrelevant. It's not uncommon for saints and holy beings to come back. My guru says that Krishna comes back in every generation. And here's the cool thing about enlightened beings. They know all their past lives. I know bits and pieces of a couple of my past lives. There's always a purpose for what we experience. You know, we carry everything forward. It's not like a memory from an experience in one one lifetime disappears after death. We might not consciously remember it, but our cell tissues do. Our experiences are imprinted into our biology. Like Carolyn Mace says, our biography is our biology. That's the story of Milarepa. I am totally out of time, but I wanted to leave you with one last gem. At the end of his life, he gave us a blessing. He said, anyone who but hears the name Milarepa even once attracts an instant blessing and will not take rebirth in a lower state of existence during seven consecutive lifetimes. Until next time karma to a minimum and your love to a maximum.
0: Thanks for joining us on Slightly Askew with Nancy at Noon. We've enjoyed your company and hope it's been fun for you, too. If you like what you're hearing, please share us with your friends and family because they might like us, too.
1: there friends i just want you to know that i will be recording audiobooks in the very near future most of the stories will be my own stories i've written some fictional some from the pages of my own life experiences they are all awesome and entertaining and i'm going to tell you more about it next week so stay tuned Mm -hmm.